Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Most of us will agree that people are the most important asset of any company. So the question is, how do we attract, develop and keep talented people in our business? Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Sarianto and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Umesh Padke, President Director of L'Oreal Indonesia. Umesh is well known for his leadership style and driving excellence in business. And today, he'll be sharing with us his knowledge, experience and insights on both leadership and talent management. Welcome to the show, Umesh. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome, Umesh. Thank you for donating your valuable time. Now, Umesh, we begin each show by asking our guests two fun questions. So we've got two prepared here for you. First one is, do you have a secret talent that no one knows about? Well, I wouldn't say no one knows about it, but I have a secret talent for getting into trouble on mountains uh, because uh, I've kind of been uh, in sticky situations on mountains uh, the last time there was an earthquake in Indonesia on Lombok, I was on top of the Rinjani mountain. In fact, I was climbing down the mountain with my nine-year-old son. And both of us ran down 12 kilometers. That was a harrowing experience, but it's a great story to tell uh, on a separate day. And then there was another time when I got into trouble on a Vietnamese mountain when I was running a mountain marathon with my daughter. So that's, uh, you know, I would say that's my... Uh, interesting, uh, you know, interesting skill that I I don't want anyone else to have. <laughs> I love it. And what about your hobby? Uh, what's your favorite hobby? Well, before the lockdown happened, I would have said photography was my top hobby because I've been doing photography for almost forty years, uh, which is slightly lesser than my age. So, so it's a it's an important part of my. It was an important part of my life, but travel stopped and photography stopped. Uh, so I've now gone back to cooking. I've always been a good cook, but uh, I've now gone even more seriously into cooking and uh, recently uh, started experimenting with African food, uh, with uh, Indonesian food, of course, uh, great cuisine uh, and Thai food. And of course, Indian food is uh, is always there. Oh, fantastic. Like you, Gus, you love cooking. Oh, yeah, I, I, I love cooking, but I can't call myself a serious cook. Like uh, Umesh, uh, you know, I I tend to cook the same thing and I try to be proud myself, but no one else celebrating it. But uh, I think Umesh is a next league, Michelin star type of cooking. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Umesh, before we begin um, going into some of the questions, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please? Well, as you can probably tell by my accent or looking at me, I'm Indian by nationality and Indian by birth. Uh, but, uh, you know, what people, most people uh, know about me is that I've spent more than three-fourths of my life outside my home country. I was born in Bahrain in the Middle East, raised there for 16 years, uh, then went back to India, studied to be an engineer. Uh, that engineering career didn't go very far uh, because engineering didn't pay very well. So I decided to switch to marketing. Uh, I then uh, did a master's in business and started working in India. Uh, but that was short-lived. I left India in the year 2000, and I have been in the ASEAN region uh, for the past 21 years. So I've worked in uh, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Singapore, and I've worked across all the markets uh, in this part of the world. I consider myself uh, a student of uh, FMCG, of branding, um, of leadership, because those are the things that I've done over the past 21 years in this part of the world, working for great companies and, of course, L'Oreal for the past decade. Um, in terms of personal life, like I said, photography and travel uh, were big hobbies, and I hope they will resume at one point in time. Intrepid travel. I've been to places like Mongolia, Antarctica, Iran, uh, Uzbekistan, Madagascar, besides doing the regular stuff, and I've photographed in all these places. 
Uh, I'm sure there's no one in the audience who's possibly even gone to North Korea. I've spent a week in North Korea. Uh, but then uh, travel stopped, and so now I'm cooking. I'm married uh, to Aditi. Uh, I have two kids, uh, 16 and 12, and I have two dogs. So uh, the house is always uh, full of noise and full of activity. <laughs> Fantastic! Thank you for sharing. Uh, look, going into the questions, we were hoping you can share with us your leadership and business principles, just to start off the leadership side of it. Sure. Sure. Um, you know. Uh, about ten years ago or thereabouts, I uh, you know I got this question very often, and so I decided to kind of distill my leadership principles into into a simple phrase that I could share with everyone, and I call it P four S. So there are two parts to it. One is about what do I expect out of people, and the other one is how do we expect to behave as a team or as a group. So the first one is B. So what do I say? There are four parts to being: be knowledgeable, and I believe that the person with the Greatest knowledge is the most powerful person in the room. So the person who's closest to the business is the one who's supposed to know the most. Just because I'm the highest paid opinion in the room does not make me most knowledgeable, and that applies to me as well. When I go to represent Indonesia in Paris or in Singapore or Hong Kong or anywhere else, I'm supposed to know most about Indonesia. So I hold myself and my people to very high knowledge-based leadership standards. The second one is be transparent. especially when you are in a leadership position it is very easy to become div- uh, divorced from reality and become uh, you know opaque to reality people may not want to tell you the truth may not want to tell you the bad news so the first principle that people hear from me is that i don't want any hidden agendas and i want to hear bad news first good news will find a way to get to me and good news is good news but bad news is what i'm here to hear and i'm there to solve the bad news so i want to hear about those little sparks and those little fires before they become you know something in the bush the second uh, the third principle is about be consistent and i want the same language whether people are talking to me to their boss uh, to their client to their customer i want a single message flowing through the company i do not want messages to change uh, depending on who is hearing them I don't want people to tell me what I want what they think I want to hear I want to hear the truth so it's kind of a corollary to the whole transparency bit and the third one is about being passionate it is very easy to look at the work we do which is in consumer products and say ah oh, I sell soap or I sell lipstick or I sell cream or something like that but it's important to remember that all the products we sell everything we do everything any business does brings a significant value to the life of the consumer if you're talking about small businesses the hardware store the plumber uh, imagine your bathroom broke down and you needed a plumber uh, the value that a plumber brings is no less important than the value that a doctor brings to your life and so it's important to be very passionate about what you do and believe in the fact that you are making a difference to the lives of the people who Uh, come to you as customers and that passion is what drives us every day that passion is what brings value to the fact that we spend more time doing this than we spend let's say in my case traveling or cooking or being with my family so it has to mean more than all those things and that is why that is uh, being passionate is extremely important so once you've got these principles which is be knowledgeable be transparent be consistent and be passionate put together then how do we go about constructing the business or how about how do we go about moving forward so the first principle is about stretch and i stole these uh, this forest idea from our former ceo who is a very inspirational gentleman uh, and i've learned a lot from him so the forest principle stands for first stretch your ambition my mother used to teach me not failure but low aim is crime so there's never a moderate budget in in l'oreal there's never a moderate ambition in l'oreal our ambitions are large we want to conquer the world we want to be number one everywhere we want to win with all consumers we want to win everywhere so stretching ambitions it's not whether you achieve that ambition or not it's about how large is the size of your ambition once you've stretched your ambition then obviously it can't be blind ambition and just you know uh, a dream it has to translate into a strategy so the second s is about strategizing your growth it's important to plan how you are going to grow your business it's important 
what is the way you're going to get to the big goal that you have set for yourself. The third one is about superb execution. You could have a massive ambition. You could have great strategies on PowerPoint or in business documents. But the only thing that the consumer finally sees is what you put in place in the market, what you execute in the market. Uh, again, if I make it relevant to small businesses, I deal with a lot of small stores that sell cosmetics. Uh, they could have, they don't have strategies and they don't have big uh, PowerPoint documents, but the way they put their store forward, a small store, the way they decorate it, the way they speak to their customers, the intimate connection that they have with their customers that prevents these customers from going to a large uh, supermarket or going online is what is the magic sauce. And that's about superb execution. And then the last point is about savoring the sweet taste of success. It is important to you know, nourish the, the soul, nourish our motivation with celebration every time we've had small wins. Uh, so, you know, I, I had a, uh, when I was working in a smaller business, I had a ritual every month when the share reports came out. If we had gained share, we would have a pizza party in the company. And I remember my marketing manager uh, kind of uh, peeping into my office and saying, Kunumesh, market share is out. And by the look on her face, I would know that I had to order 10 pizzas today. And that was about celebrating small wins. These are not uh, you know, massive wins, but these are small wins which people remember. And even today, I've left, the, left that business over 15 years ago. The pizza party uh, anecdote goes around. So uh, be knowledgeable, be transparent, be consistent, uh, be passionate, and stretch your ambition, strategize your growth, superbly execute everything, and savor every small win with the team that's working with you. Incredible. It is, isn't it? Like, it's just such clear principles. It is. Uh, Umesh, can I ask you a Thank question? You. you know, when you talk about be passionate, sure. uh, you know, you said that, yeah. uh, you know, passion, passionate, life without passion uh, is literally nothing, zero, death. Yeah. Now, in the yeah. organization, uh, passion is something that uh, uh, it's hard to teach because you need to wake up with it. How do you yeah. how do you build passion in your organization? I think uh, Gus, uh, first is you have to you have to you know kind of uh, recruit. It starts with the recruitment, uh, recruiting people who are passionate about things. And what I what I realized is that the interview process is extremely important. And one of my uh, mentors once told me that people don't join companies; people join people. Uh, people join a vision. People join a mission. I mean, think about in the old days when uh, you know explorers left their home in the in the search of lands they had never discovered. Uh, there was there were no roads. There was no phone. There were no transmitters. Nothing. They just got on a boat or got on a horse, and and someone joined them because they joined a vision. So it's important to start with the right recruitment. So I have, I've always looked for people who demonstrate passionate uh, behavior in what they do. Uh, it's not the only thing I look for, but I also look for people who have very strong hobbies and are very intimately knowledgeable about their hobbies. If I'm talking about photography, I would like someone to talk to me about photography in greater detail than just saying I pick up a camera and take pictures. So, you know, how much of your heart do you put into the things that you do is something that is very important when I recruit people. Once we are done with that, then I think the four S that I was talking about is a great way of kind of nourishing that passion. When you tell people that 100 is not enough, we want to get to 110, uh, there are people who get fired up and there are other people who get demotivated. You know, those who get demotivated never make it to, to the big league in life. And, and I, know, I know there are people who get motivated by the 110 and come back and say, well, let's, let's go for 115. Let's, you know, let's put a reserve and go for 115. And then the last S that I talked about, which is celebrating success, celebrating uh, with the team, bringing everyone together, uh, and celebrating every part of the business. So it's very easy to celebrate 
the business side of the business. You know, you you set a target of 100, you achieved 110, you brought in revenue. There are other parts of the business which are sometimes more difficult to celebrate or missed out. They are the unsung heroes. And it's important to bring these parts of the business together. So if I look at the President Directors Award in Indonesia over the past several years, we've given that award to regulatory affairs people, which is unheard of. Because these are the people who kind of keep our doors open. If we ever ran into a regulatory issue, uh, forget about 110, we wouldn't even have 100. There would only be zero. The the business would be shut down. And the importance that we have of dealing with a dynamic regulatory environment, we reward that. Uh, Building an organization is about training. And training is not just about classroom training. It's about developing people regularly, building a training culture in the organization. So at one point in time, We've rewarded our training and development manager, the President Directors Award, because we were on top of the charts when it came to developing people in the in the company. So there's a, you know, I I could give you a a recipe for for developing passionate people, but what I could tell you is that it starts with getting the right raw material. You've got to get the right clay, but the right clay is only maybe ten percent or twenty percent of it. The nourishment of that clay, the building of that clay, the glazing of it uh, is very important. And one last point I would make is that uh, building a team of passionate people is not only about mollycoddling and keeping them motivated and giving them rara speeches, because the most motivated, the most capable people are not looking only for that. They are looking for tough love as well. They are looking for you to tell them when they are not doing the right thing. They are looking for the you know the slap on the wrist or the kick in the ass if i may use the word uh, to make them put them back in tra- back on track and i have personally been given that slap or that kick a couple of times in my career and i'm very thankful to those people who've given it to me so you know passion is about uh, iron hand in a velvet glove choosing respect over love not necessarily being in a uh, you know, popularity contest to be the most loved leader. Love should always stem from respect when it comes to leadership. So powerful. Thank you. Did you have anything to add, Gus? Uh, no, nah, I think that's uh, well uh, well explained. You know, I just, you know, your passion is just come across this screen like I'm talking to you in front of me. Uh, you know, one thing that I like about the way you describe this, Umes, is... Uh, uh, we as an organization can execute that. Uh, we can actually implement that. It's not a rocket science stuff. You know, the recruiting and the way you, what I love from what you say is the way you search for passionate people is not looking for a rocket scientist type of textbook way of finding people. You actually search it from, hey, tell me what your hobby if you are a passionate people, the way you talk about your hobby will come across in detail because you cannot hide passion. A passionate people yeah. will come across as a passionate people because they are just passionate. So, so that's fantastic. And we are going to speak in, uh, speak about this in more detail later. But almost before we go on, uh, yesterday when we had a, a briefing, um, you, you mentioned to us there were four top themes that explained your leadership style and strategy. And Gus and I found that fantastic. Is this something that you can share with the rest of the world? Sure. Uh, So the four themes, again, I I distilled these down very clearly based on the learnings I've had from great mentors and bosses and the organization over the past several years. The first one is about having a focus on both top and bottom line. And I keep telling my people there is no bottom line without top line. And there is no way to fuel that top line without bottom line. So I, I have a, um, you know, hawk-eyed focus on both top line and bottom line. There are different people who are responsible for delivering the top line and are different people who are responsible for managing the top line. I am obviously responsible for both. And it's my, uh, you know, the buck stops with me. But uh, I have a focus on both. The second one is about creating value. And you know, you can look at the top and bottom of the PL, but then there is an important piece in the middle, which is uh, you know, cre- creating value. 
And I really like the way the French term for profit is. And it doesn't really uh, sound very nice in English, but uh, but you'll get the gist of it. It stands for, the, the French word for profit is resultant d'exploitation. So it's the result of what you can extract out of each part of the PNL. And the principle in my mind is that we have to extract value in the organization in everything we do uh, and rid the organization of non-value adding cost, non-value adding work. Everyone's doing a lot of work and cost is always a, a great pressure. So it's important to get rid of those. I mean, I uh, in the last year when we had the pandemic, I've gone into details of cost along with my CFO as minute as how much paper are we using in the organization? Can we get rid of printers? How much office space? We were, I'm really proud to say that we were one of the first uh, companies that I know of that gave up office space and prepared ourselves for the new normal. <clears throat> so in that, L'Oreal really helped me because L'Oreal's always been a very forward-thinking and what's-on-the-horizon kind of organization. But, but you know, that's, that's kind of the creating value bit. The third one is about focusing on the business drivers. And over here, we start with the consumer because that's the, that's the person who is at the core of this nuclear reactor. If she's not there, if he's not there, nothing else works. And, and so we are, we are constantly in touch with the consumer. We are either meeting the consumer face-to-face -face in the old realities. Uh, otherwise, now we are meeting her literally on a month-on-month -month basis uh, through Zoom calls to understand how she is evolving and what's happening in her life. And I'd like to tell, tell you a small story about how meeting with the consumer can completely open your mind to new things. So we were, uh, you know, kind of trying to understand the hijab-wearing consumer, the, the veil-wearing consumer of Indonesia, because veil-wearing has taken on a very high growth in Indonesia, and a lot more women are wearing the veil as they discover their Islamic roots. Now, to the Western liberal-educated mind, wearing the veil is a sign of being more conservative and automatically you would say this woman does not use enough makeup, not enough beauty care, et cetera, et cetera. She's not modern enough. So we were in a lower middle class suburb in Jakarta meeting with this veil wearing woman. We were in her house and we started talking to her about her veil wearing habits and said, you know, how do you wear your veil? How do you wear your makeup, et cetera? And she said, I have to match my veil with my makeup. So I have lots of veils. And we asked her, how many do you have? And she kind of said, I have a lot. And I said, okay, can you please take us to your bedroom and let us see how many veils you have? So the woman was very obliging. She took us into her bedroom, opened her cupboard, and I kid you not, she had 47 veils. And we were, we were surprised. We were, our mind was blown. Then we, then we asked her, saying, how many, times a, how many times a week do you wear makeup? Said, I wear makeup when I go out of the house. And we could have stopped over there and moved on. But my boss asked her the question saying, okay, so how many times a week, a week do you go out? She says, uh, I go to drop my kids to school. Said, okay, so you go to your go out of the house every day on a working day. She says, yes. Uh, and then you also go again in the evening to pick them up. Say, yes. So which means at least two times a day she's going out of the house, which means she's doing makeup twice a day. Then we asked her, where is the kid's school? And she opens the window, points out the window and says, over there. It was across the street. The, the street is barely 10 meters wide and the school is across the street. So this woman who prima facie would have appeared to be a lower middle class hijab wearing woman from Indonesia and we would have said mm, not really a make, big makeup consumer suddenly became a, a, a massive consumer for us because she's color coordinated. She's investing in color coordinated clothing. Uh, she's wearing makeup and doing it twice a day, every day, uh, she's interested in presenting a good appearance of herself to all the parents who are coming to the school and as a mother. I mean, there was, there was a mountain of, of, you know, valuable information in there. And we could have never got that information if we had never spoken to the consumer. So the first thing I think on a, in terms of business drivers would be to speak to the consumer and not assume. David Ogilvy had famously said, the consumer, you are not the consumer, it's your wife. So, you know, I'm not the consumer. And clearly you can tell I'm not a makeup user. I'm not even a hair care user. But, you know, being close to the consumer and understanding what she's doing 
is, is, the, is the foundation of what we do. But then we don't sell our products directly to consumers. Your small businesses may be directly engaging with customers, which is a blessing because the bigger you get, the farther you move away from your customers and then you have to really make efforts to get close. But we deal with customers and customers are a very important part of our, our uh, supply chain and our uh, route to market. So we are constantly talking to our retail partners, small stores, big stores, e-commerce, everyone, and understanding what are their needs. And it is not about sitting across the table from them. It is about sitting on the same side of the table because we are both interested in doing the same thing, which is delighting the consumer that is walking into their stores. And how do we achieve that? So that's the that's the second, second pillar of focusing on business drivers. And the third one is focusing on the environment. The environment means everything other than the customers and the consumer. It could mean regulatory environment. It could mean tax environment. It could mean, uh, you know, everyone around in terms of stakeholders. And it's extremely important to build relationships with stakeholders with the mindset of an investment that is a long-term investment. Only the long game will win when it comes to building stakeholders. If you're engaging with a stakeholder with the intention that this person is going to come and do something for me today and after that it's over, then you're in the wrong place. Every relationship must be nurtured and just because you meet someone important today that you don't think is important for you uh, doesn't mean that the person will not be of use later on. And I'm reminded of an Aesop's fable where um, you know a lion found a rat under, under a rock and uh, the, the rat said, one day when you're in trouble, I'll help you. And the lion laughed saying, you know, how are you going to help me? But he still let the rat go. And then when the lion was uh, you know, captured in a net, the rat came along nod at the net and, and you know the lion was free and and you know that kind of encapsulates no relationship how small or how how big uh, how useful today or not uh, can be very valuable for the future and the last one is a good segue into the core topic of this uh, this podcast which is about driving people and in in many ways and in many fundamental ways uh, people have been the foundation on which L'Oreal has been built. You know, we are the world's number one beauty care company. Uh, yes, we do have great technologies. And yes, we have a massive flotilla of brands, which are important assets that we can put in our balance sheet. But the biggest asset that we have that is not in our balance sheet, and that is intangible, and that is in some ways, you know, um, uh, in French, they call it uh, je ne sais quoi, which is you can't tell what is that eph ephemeral quality. And that is the culture and the people of L'Oreal. And for building, for building the organization, I have six steps. Love your people, reward richly, feedback timely, demand aggressively, and help everyone succeed. So I'll repeat that just because it's, it's uh, you know, important for, for anyone who's dealing with people to, to remember this. Love your people, reward richly, feedback timely, demand aggressively and help everyone succeed. I'm sorry, that was five and not six. That is just so powerful. Can I ask a question, Umesh? You know, when we talk about, sure. you know, you put love the people as the number one uh, in your point about driving the people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a simple statement that I think everyone will understand, love the people. You know, every leader will wake up in the morning trying to, to implement that. But in the absent of genuine interest on the people, this simple statement is very hard to execute. Do you mind to yeah. share with us what are the key strategy? Uh, I mean, love cannot, love is not strategy. Love comes from your heart. But what we should do to make sure that the process of loving the people, which is the most expensive asset of any company, and I truly believe that, even in my organization, What's your strategy to make sure that all your leaders inside L'Oreal also have the capability of waking up in the morning to execute that particular point? Because love is hard to measure, but the power of love 
can make people so passionate, which impact the business in the big way? Yeah, I think uh, as a leader and as a business leader, it is important to remember we have, you know, um, the first responsibility of building respect, uh, you know, which is why I said earlier, uh, when in doubt, choose respect over love. Yeah. And the love uh, that your people have for you should stem out of respect that they have for you because they are in the office, they're in the organization, they're coming there uh, to achieve their personal, professional, financial, life goals, all kinds of things. And you are an important element in making that happen. So I think that's the first one. And which, uh, which I think when you're, when you're talking about building respect, it's about enabling people. It's about giving, giving the right training at the right time. It's about giving the right feedback at the right time. It's about giving people a voice. And when you give people voice, it is also about listening to them. So my teams in the office know that Umesh will, in meetings, you know, kind of get, fly off the handle, get very passionate, start, you know, uh, talking about, no, we should do this and that and blah, 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 blah and, and give some, some ideas. But I, my teams know that the most junior person in the room can stand up and say, no, pa Umesh, I think what you're saying is absolutely wrong. This is not what we are going to do. This is how we should do it. And, and they have seen it time and again. And I will step back and ask them saying, okay, explain to me why I'm wrong and you're right. And it goes back to knowledge-based leadership. And when they prove right to me, I'm very happy to say in a meeting full of people saying, oh, you're right. I was wrong. You are right. You are closest to the business. You know best. And this is what we are going to do. So that, that I think, is, is one, one, thing, one way of doing it. There are other subtle cues, subtle and not so subtle cues that, that are very important. Uh, having an open office and being accessible to people, walking around and talking to people, meeting people, addressing them, sitting down with them, uh, understanding what they are doing. Uh, these things go a very long distance. Uh, when I when I moved to Indonesia, uh, one of the things I did was I converted my office from having walls uh, into having glass. Uh, for the first two weeks, uh, people were kind of uh, astonished walking past because they would see me sitting inside and working. They would see meetings going on inside. And my CFO actually christened it. Uh, this is Umesh's aquarium. The, the shark is inside. Uh, so it was it was one of those uh, those funny things for for a for a couple of weeks. Uh, being more accessible, we've now abolished all offices, uh, all closed offices, and we are now on a completely open office platform. Uh, when the office reopens, we will all be uh, preceding. There will be no differentiation between size. I sit right next to my executive assistant and have the same size of office as hers. Uh, there are other things which are important to demonstrate love. And this may sound very transactional, but is very, very important. Having the right compensation and benefits and being competitive in compensation and benefits is the truest form of love that you can show to your organization. Don't believe anyone who says money can't buy love because at the end of the day, the organization is in the pursuit of delivering a business that has a top line and a bottom line. And the people have been brought in there to do a job. If they do a good job and if they do a great job, they deserve to be compensated the best. You cannot pay peanuts and get, you know, you cannot pay peanuts and expect that you will have rock stars. So I think that uh, as, uh, as naked and blatant as it might sound, having a very sound compensation and benefit strategy is a big foundation to demonstrating love. Otherwise, your love is just empty, empty platitudes and it means nothing. So there's, there's a whole, whole uh, you know, different whole list of things I could talk about. But this is just one of those. Well, this a few is, of those. I, I tell you, this is such an amazing thing. This morning at 11 o'clock Australia time, uh, Natalie and I interviewed Jared San Filippo. He's the managing director of a Burbank group of companies, uh, one of a sizable property developer builder in Australia. And Umes, you, you, you will not believe this. He actually discussed exactly what you mentioned before in terms of, in term of the ability of a leader to create a safe environment for the people underneath them to actually challenge the leader, the ability of a leader to actually making sure that it's very transparent, very equal by having an open space, 
uh, it's it just incredible. So obviously the recipe is not only used by few people. I mean, a successful business implement this. And I think we, you know, if I'm representing the small and medium business, we should look at this because it worked. It worked for multi-billion dollars company. So surely it can work as well because we're not talking about rocket science stuff. We're talking about properly engaging with your people, properly rewarding your people, properly treating them with respect, making sure that knowledge is the is the reason for people to open up, open their you know opinion and for people not feeling scared. It's fantastic. I love and Can it. I just add to that, Gus? Another thing that Jared mentioned, what Gus was just saying, he also said, and this is where you touched on as well, Umesh, is treating everyone as equals. And that yeah. was the big yeah. thing. You know, when you said the open <clears throat> office space, everyone is equal, same desk, same technology. You don't have anything different to your EA that was sitting next to you. And that was a very powerful message as well that was discussed. Actually, uh, if you don't mind, I have one more uh, one more anecdote to give. I mean, uh, you know, uh, often in companies when technology is discussed, uh, the senior managers and senior management gets the best best computers, and then you know the mass of the organization kind of gets basic stripped down computers. And uh, we do an annual uh, voice of the employee kind of survey, and uh, in two thousand seventeen. Uh, there were in the verbatim comments about seven or ten comments about the fact that my computer sucks, it hangs, it uh, it crashes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And with my management committee, we were discussing this uh, in an offsite about how do we, uh, you know, improve the motivation. And this thing about technology came up, came up. And uh, one of the questions that came up was, who needs the most powerful computer, myself or the finance controller, myself, the supply chain director, or the demand planner? And the consensus was clear that the lower you are in the organization, the more powerful computer you need because the more processing work you are doing. I mean, as a leader, we are getting the process work. We are looking at it, uh, commenting on it, providing strategies, but we are not making those Excel sheets. We are not, uh, you know, running those Excel sheets. And, And then we took a decision along with our CFO that we were going to have a policy, which is everyone in the company gets the same type of computer, which is the great type of computer that will make all work, uh, you know, kind of uh, seamless, all work smooth and fluid. And today, again, just like the same desk uh, for the past three, four years, we have everyone in the company has the same computer. We don't have any desktops anymore. So in 2019, 2020, when we had to start work from home, it took us exactly one day to move to work from home. We announced it, and next day we were work from home because there were no desktops. People just had to go to office and pick up their personal stuff if required. And since then, it's not a good thing. But we've not really gone back to office, and our business has been in great shape because we were prepared for it, and we had made that possible through technological uh, enablement. Fantastic. fantastic. And he goes, again, what Jared discussed this morning, that's fantastic. Uh, look, we want to get onto the topic of attracting, developing and keeping talent. I know this is something you're very passionate sure. about, Gus. And just to kind of start um, the discussion, people we know are the number one asset of any organisation. So, Umesh, could you please share with us your strategy of retaining and developing great talent? So I think first, before we go to, uh, you know, uh, retaining and developing, let's start with attracting great talent, yeah. you know, because it's very important as a uh, as a company to be seen as a uh, as an employer of choice. And, you know, again, there are there are several fundamental building blocks of doing that uh, internally. Uh, but there are also uh, it's also important to uh, you know be and be seen as a great place to work. So there's you know great work that you do inside. Uh, there is outreach that you do, and then there is the noise in the market, which is the positive noise that you that you spread about. So I think first I I already mentioned this, uh, but compensation and benefits. I think comp and ben is the foundation 
and being competitive or comparative as as required by different levels at compensation and benefits is the foundation that will keep the building standing if you're weak over there you cannot expect to be competitive you want to be great in digital marketing uh, you cannot expect that we will pay poorly on digital marketing and get people uh, you know gone are the days when uh, you know people worked for uh, you know just like that and great talent today by definition great talent is supposed to be in short supply if it was abundant then it would not be great talent diamonds are diamonds because they are rare gold is gold because there is only so much of that if it was uh, sand uh, even sand is uh, is in limited supply so you know anything that is precious has to be in limited supply and has to be uh, pure and has to be uh, precious to us and and the most important thing about keeping a precious thing is you take care of it and you pay well so compensation and benefits are the first principle so we are we are extremely uh, you know proud about the fact that we pay competitively uh, not just in terms of salary but in terms of the overall total uh, total cost to company we take care of people's uh, base salary for sure but we take care of people's health uh, mental health is now a new uh, area that we are really focusing on uh, we provide them the possibility of getting their impro- uh, their families uh, covered under under our medical insurance uh, there are small but very important and consequential things that we offer like there's food in office and that was at one point in time rather vanilla but now that's become very important especially because of the pandemic if people come to office they don't want to step out and look for food in a restaurant or a food court or something like that so there are there are various things which go into building the compensation and benefits which really becomes the foundation of that and i'm very happy to say that my management committee along with myself are intimately involved in the salary planning of almost every single person in the company no not almost sorry between myself and my management committee we are involved in the salary planning of every single person in the company i personally am involved in the in the salary planning of the top 100 or 150 people but the rest you know 350 400 people are taken care of by the management committee and everyone is is taken care of in terms of performance in terms of competitiveness versus market tenure etc etc uh, salary planning and compensation and benefits is a whole science so it's important to to take care of salary planning and benefits in two ways one is you almost have to be a socialist in terms of the fact that everyone must get some some of the things that you know healthcare uh, great allowances you know food uh, blah 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 all those you know all that stuff you have to make sure that everyone gets it and those are great you know so we we at one point in time had a had a canteen in the office which used to serve food which was not great and we decided to close it down and that's when one of the mancom members said let's do a taste test and invite uh, a contract invite different contractors to bid for it so we invited contractors to bid for it uh, the employees chose the contractor and then we introduced subsidized food uh, that year we can't measure it for sure but i'm sure our motivation ratings went up a few points because we did that sales people are in the field regularly and often what happens is their sales travel limits are set up at one point in time and people forget to revise them times change inflation happens years go by petrol becomes more expensive you know it's important to look at these so we've now put in place a process that every 3 years we will look at these sales allowances and make sure that our field people are comfortable when someone goes in the field he goes away from his family uh, to sell our products to make sure he's making the deals he must be comfortable she must be taken care of she must be safe uh she must do her job comfortably etc cetera, etc cetera. so all that we we've, we've taken into into account so that's uh, that's one uh, that's compensation and benefits is the one thing the second thing is about training and development and training and development is uh, is you know we spend a significant amount of uh, money on training and development and again i'm very proud to say that even though we went to work from home our training and development in terms of number of hours number of courses number of attendants etc etc where r- you know sky high they grew in 2020 and 2021 versus the past because the team immediately went to a, a virtual virtual way of training and development again training and development is also a little bit of socialism a little bit of specialism 
there's basic training that everyone must must get how to make presentations how to communicate how to do an excel sheet how to create a sales forecast i mean there's there's basic tools of the trade that everyone needs uh, then there are special trainings that may be required for leadership development for people we notice a young manager who's demonstrating great negotiation skills he needs to be taken to the next level when it comes to negotiation what is the best negotiation training program that is available in the world we'll get that for that person a uh, person why is being is is doing very well and needs to be sent to a french speaking country but the barrier is that they need a french speaking finance person we will then put this person for a 6 month accelerated french lesson program so that that person can then be ready for a job in a french speaking country uh, so there's you know uh, socialism and specialization and then the third part of training and development is future skills again for small and medium businesses this is very pertinent you know you guys were operating your your business out of a store in a neighborhood you knew everyone over there you you had your standard customers and then the government said lockdown your store is closed <coughs> you can't reach your customers you had no idea what e-commerce was <coughs> you had no idea how e-business was supposed to be done so being future ready is extremely <coughs> extremely important so <coughs> i need to i need to get a glass of water no, right i'm sorry about this that's fine naturally you know how interesting <laughs> is this you know when we're talking about uh uh capturing great talent you know one thing that i like the way umesh describe it is the fact umesh said we call it great talent because it's rare and when it's rare we need to make sure we treat it with care just like when we look at gold and diamond and i think many organization many small and medium business anyone that listening today need to take that concept very carefully umesh i have to say i learn from your statement here because i never really look at it that way and i just learn something very special here we call it great talent because it's rare because if everyone yeah. uh, uh, everyone good yeah. then we just uh, well it's great it's a great pool of talent but the yeah. reality is great talent is rare and we need to make sure that we focus and treat it with care i i love that i mean think about this you know we are talking let's say we're talking about a, a small coffee store you know three uh, three or four uh, branches a coffee shop uh, or just a coffee roaster if you know if if you are a starbucks you'll have hundreds of coffee roasters you lose one or two yeah it's okay we'll find another one if you are a three store coffee roaster and you lose your master coffee roaster is finished i'm sorry but your business could could stop so so you know the the importance of taking care of talent finding attracting and keeping talent is even more uh, you know amplified the smaller you are because you have you have no safety net i mean i lose a marketing manager yes it hurts but uh, you know i can get get one more easily yes yes can i ask you also you know when we talk about attracting talent keeping talent keeping now so we we learn how to attract yeah. talent when yeah. you want to keep talent one thing that every organization regardless the size is about the landscape of opportunity the reality is the smaller you are the less opportunistic in terms of structure of growth in terms of uh, in yeah. terms of levels of position you know uh, if we talk you, in your example the fact that you are a coffee shop with three people then the the master coffee will never be the owner unless he wants yeah. to buy the business now in the context of that size yeah. of business how do you retain a people uh, you know a talent when limited opportunity of growth in term of structure presented in front of you what kind of strategy uh, we you can do to make sure that Yeah, well, the reality is it's a flat structure, but this is what we do to. Uh... Okay, so I think first, first I must admit that I have no experience in dealing with anything like this because I've never been in a small business. I've never run a small business, but I can tell you one one principle which I you know saw in a movie many years ago, which is if you love someone, set it free. Uh, you know, if if it comes back, it's yours forever. 
if it goes away it never was yours but that's that's a little poetic what i'm trying to say here is that uh, one of the responsibilities of small business if they are not able to grow people beyond a certain level is to develop them and you know potentially let them go i mean if, oh, if you have a great coffee roaster and your coffee roaster wants to set up his own roastery in a, in a different town uh, he'll forever be indebted to the fact that he learned his roasting in your place if you have a great mason he'll forever be indebted to the fact that you let him go I and mean, i have let people go uh, when they have had great offers and and my management committee in fact is a little afraid of telling me about someone leaving because the first thing i will ask them is where is this person going what is the job that the person is going to do which company are they going to if that is a great place a great company a great job then i am going to call the person and say congratulations on getting this offer uh, i'm very proud of you go do well achieve great things someday in the future when you are bigger more more educated more wise more valuable our paths will cross and i remember and i know you will remember loreal as a great place to work the place where you learned a lot you went on to do bigger things because of what you learned at loreal and one day you will come back uh, come back to us and if you don't the world is a richer place and people will know that you know loreal talent is always great talent all of umesh i can second what you say and nathalie you will be very proud to hear umesh statement there because you run it within your business you know uh, the fact that you actually have a passion to develop and i think you, what you saying the way i translated umesh and correct me if i'm wrong is when the structure is flat focus in developing genuinely of your people capability so they can do better than you and better than your business in return if it yours they will not only stay but they will make the best coffee for you they yeah. in debt of saying thank you and i think that is fantastic natalie you should be very proud because that's what you do within your business you, and i i love the answer of umesh around 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 that because that's a reality you know if you if you humor me for for a minute i have a i have a story that i heard just yesterday yeah you know in the military academy in india uh, there is a final test where gunners battle each other it's an exercise and a game and the gunners battle each other and and the winning team obviously gets an award and all that so it's a it's a it's a important game uh, that happens every year yeah so the two guns arrive at the final point and take their aim and when the young gunner looks out to the senior gunner the senior gunner was actually his instructor in the academy so as a mark of respect he gets off the gun and runs towards the teacher and and wishes him all the best and the teacher looks at him and says uh young man today whatever happens i will be the winner and he says how do you say that he says if you win the teacher will win and if you lose then i will win anyway so you know in both ways when you are a great teacher you're actually expecting your student to do better than you and that uh, in a sense is a uh, is kind of the development principle of developing great people that is absolutely absolutely fantastic absolutely fantastic i have another question for you umesh in in terms of talent so we uh, let let's just uh, go back we talk about how to find talent we talk about how do you keep talent and grow them you know because if you are a small business it could be a flat structure now come back to finding the great talent you know one is about finding the passionate people what's your opinion about the attributes of or, or attribute or characteristic of a good talent uh in your opinion okay um so maybe i take 5 seconds to think through in the in order of priority but i would say the first one is technical expertise mm-hmm. you have to be good at what you do uh, you may censor this out but you've got to know your shit you know if you don't know what you're doing then so that technical expertise is the foundation above that you have to have what i would call agility flexibility and humility so when i say agility 
you know, you know how to do things, yes, but you only know to do them in a particular way, uh, then the world is going to defeat you the next at the next corner. If you were a great salesman who picks up his bag and meets his customers, uh, 2020 proved, you know, the humbling year for you because you couldn't meet any customers. <laughs> Uh, so you have to be agile. You have to be flexible. If you believe the fact that I will do my tool, do my work, but I only need the best Japanese knife, I need the most, uh, you know, the rarest cut of uh, of fish. You know, the the true chef is the one who can rustle up a great meal with whatever ingredients that are available. So you have to be flexible, and you have to be humble. I think humility is a great, great, uh, you know, characteristic of everyone because it teaches, it tells you constantly that I don't know everything. I don't know. You are more interested in what you don't know rather than I know. And that is that is very, very important. You know, you have to start with the fact that I don't know, tell me. And which is where, again, I link back to knowledge-based leadership. Asking the right question. As a leader, my job is not to give them the right answer. My job is to ask the questions till we arrive at the right answer or the agreed answer or the way forward. Well, <laughs> Natalie, yeah. what a fantastic It answer. is. And I'm looking at time, but I did want to ask you, Umesh, just based on your experience, what do you think are common mistakes leaders actually make in retaining, um, in developing talent? Um, I would say the first thing, first thing is taking people for granted. You know, you you just assume thing. Yeah, he's uh, and I have I have been uh, you know guilty of that. Suddenly, I get a resignation. I mean, I got a resignation last night from someone. I said, huh? But he was very happy. Yeah, he was very happy. But uh, that doesn't mean that he's not going to look for something else. And he's not going to go. So so uh, taking people for granted. And, and, you know, how you put that into action is actually to continuously or regularly talk to people and understand how they're doing. What are you doing? How are you enjoying it? Are you liking it? Do you want to do something different? And which is why, again, uh, in L'Oreal, the uh, middle uh, mid-year review and the end-year review, MYR and EYR, as we call it, are extremely important milestones because they are the ability or they are the time when the employee is able to voice what he or she wants, what he or she wants to do, what he or she likes or dislikes in the organization. You know, I can never speak to 500 people, but the 50 people who are the core group can speak to all 500 people and we will then know what, what people are looking for. And in not in all cases, but at least in some cases or most important cases, be prepared for, uh, for making sure that they are, they are there. So that I think, uh, talk to people, understand what their aspirations are, understand whether they're motivated and you should be fine. Fantastic. And I know Gus, you always like to do a wrap up uh, when we're, Approaching the end of the show. Yes, thank you. Uh, before I do the wrap up, Umes, uh, such a powerful message. Uh, thank you so much to share your insight, your leadership, and even your passion. Uh, you know, Natalie and I blessed uh, yesterday. We spent a lot of time to understand you. And, uh, you know, if we have five hours, I think the world will enjoy your message because not only you give us a lot of strategy and story, but the things that I really like about you, Umes, is the fact that your, your leadership insight and your business insight are very executable. You know, we're not talking about uh, 200 pages where PhD students need to understand what you say. We understand where people need to stretch their ambition. We understand that we need to strategize our plan. We understand that we need to be superb in executions. We understand when you say that we need to savor the sweet of the success, doesn't matter how small it is. We also understand when you said, hey, you want to be successful in business or as a person, you need to be knowledgeable. You can't be just rock up without any investment in yourself. We understand that people love transparency from leaders and from organization. 
we want consistency. And the last thing that you mentioned to us, that organization need to build, retain, develop passionate people because people are the most expensive asset that can bring the organization to the next level. Umesh, thank you so much for uh, creating values for our leader talk. Uh, I wish you well. L'Oreal is a known business, number one in the world. You know, my wife used your products as well in Australia. So we are uh, we are blessed to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it was great to talk to all of you uh, and spread the message. And, uh, you know, everything I've learned has been by, uh, you know, from, from great teachers, great, uh, great bosses, uh, many of them from L'Oreal. Uh, so it's a great place to work and I'm, I'm truly having fun. So anyone interested, uh, please do apply. L'Oreal Indonesia, L'Oreal Australia. We are there everywhere in the world. So, so we are more, we're more than happy to work with, uh, with anyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your time, Umesh. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk and for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.